0: Hey, my recording is working properly. Heyo. Hi, everybody. Hey, was that was that silverware? It didn't sound like the uh, crack of a can opening.
1: That was uh, I was opening a beer bottle for once. It's uh, one of my top three favorite beers.
0: Oh, what you got there? I got a Modelo. Oh yeah, summertime beer. Oh really? It is summertime. I I may have a a glass of cool white wine here in addition to my. Sensor. I
2: have I have I have a I have a mason jar full of wine that came out
0: of a bag and it's iced. <laughs> oh yeah, this definitely came out of a this definitely came out of a, a bag which is in a box. Uh, it's that I mean, as long of, as uh, as long as
1: you're not drinking it straight out of the bag, I think bagged <laughs> wine is pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: T- should yeah. I
2: not have drank it straight out of the bag? Dan, you drinking Negro? You Excellent. including Negro Modelo in your top three uh, beers is how I know that you like lived in a Brooklyn bodega for several years, or
1: like grew up in one, or something. <laughs> you know what's funny? You, you wanted to try and guess what the other two beers are. Uh, are uh, they also uh, bodega Hetty beers? Petty Topper. No, they are not. That's the thing.
0: Hmm. Uh, Petty Topper and Dogfish Head 90 Minute IPA.
1: They're definitely not IPAs. I think IPAs are just like lawn trimmings in a bottle
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm it, okay good <laughs> good take uh
1: <laughs> no my other two favorite beers are uh three philosophers it's an amagang beer and uh la du monde oh yeah what was yeah, that la uh, Fin du monde
0: oh i don't think i know uh Le it's, a du monde. Quebec,
1: it's,
2: it's a quebec it's a quebecois it, belgian it, it,
1: yeah. Oh, oh yeah, you know, what? that's, that's like, have, that's like the like a,
2: Quebecois Separatist beer. Isn't the logo, like, Quebec jumping away from the
1: rest of Canada? You know, I've never looked that far into it, and every time I drink one, I can't remember anything preceding <laughs> it. So, like, you know, it's, it's another one of those, like, 12% beers that you're just like, whoa, well that snuck up on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the, yeah, the
2: beer sure. that I most associate with July in New York is Garden with a wedge of lemon because during tour de france season roscoe would open up lakeside lounge to bike rats for happy hour and the tour would be playing on that like two hour long repeat from like five to seven uh and it was two for one happy hour at lakeside lounge over there near tompkins square park and you could bring your bike inside if you didn't have a lock and i would drink Garden there it was really nice
1: yeah, oh. I remember those days. I definitely, Summertime. I definitely, <laughs> uh, spent a lot of hours not working as a messenger <laughs> to at that bar waiting for the tour to start. Yeah, in the summer, because <laughs> there wasn't that much work to do anyway. It was kind of like it was. Re- it was actually kind of dumb, because like in the years where that overlapped with the Rafa store having a pop up. It's like I could watch the tour in the morning at the Rafa store and not work for a few hours, and then I could go to the bar and watch it again with a beer and not work for a few hours. It was great.
2: It's a wonder you got retired from messenger work.
0: Yeah, I got a lot of work not done in the summer. I mean, yeah, messenger... Being a bike messenger seems like... Because I, I never was a bike messenger, and it really seems like a job where... uh for all of the glamour and coolness associated with it when we were coming up in bikes that the reality might not have lined up so well
1: yeah with that
0: but (laughs) i mean honestly when
1: i started like pre-2008 like i made a lot of money relative to how much my rent was in new york and then the financial crisis happened and like things just went really downhill for everybody and like I feel. I feel like messengers were one, was like one of the first like services to really feel that, in my opinion. Mm. Like I remember it very vividly, just being like, "Oh, wow!" I went from you know my paychecks went from like six to eight hundred dollars a week to like three hundred dollars a week overnight.
0: Wow! You know, basically bankers weren't sending around so many documents to get signed or something,
1: like. I don't know. Sorry,
0: that was just vowels on my end. I said, so bankers weren't sending around as many documents to get signed or something? I mean, no, one was. no, I don't know. The messenger work I did was a lot of fashion
1: stuff. So, like, fashion week just got smaller and less busy, and, like, boutiques closed, and, like, uh, magazines consolidated. Like, things just got slower and people spent less money, you know, and when people spend less money, it's like that's one of the first things that goes. It's like cheaper well, it to send an intern. In-
0: yeah.
1: It it is it, it, it was basically cheaper to send an intern across town in a cab that you weren't paying than to like hire a messenger, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway, that was a nice trip down memory lane
0: i i you um, know in 2008 I, I had already decided that i was going to be a pipette jockey so i wasn't wasn't really looking for messenger work yeah i guess we should talk so what's about going bikes on or something uh should we should i don't we, know i mean there's what's like happening in the world of bikes oh by the way this is the honest bicycle program uh, we're coming to you on the Wide Angle Podium Network. And uh, I'm Greg. He's Dan. I'm Matteo. Yeah,
2: we got the three uh, of yeah, us. Sorry, in
0: case you didn't know what you were. Listen- yeah, in case you didn't know what you were listening to. Um, you, you got, got lost in the we podcast
1: store and picked this on at random.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're just browsing, you know, you pull a kind of tattered, uh, unmarked. Sort of case off the shelf, and <laughs> it just says it just has you know the, this mysterious three letter logo on it. It says HPP, and you say that's weird. I wonder what that stands for. I, what that stands for. And so you I like to think
1: it just says care. honesty on it.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, maybe maybe that's, it says that too. You that's know, what like, I like This is think. intriguing, and it's kind of dusty. So so you bring it home. Well, you you know you go you go up to the register and you pay like you know your two dollars and thirty one cents for it. Put it in your bag, hop on your bike, you ride home. Uh, you get home, you open it up, uh, you you lift the lid on your old podcast player. Uh, you know, you're going to play your, uh, your podcast. They're on vinyl, of course. It's a vinyl podcast that you just bought, <laughs> so it's actually really big. It's really big. You pop it on and, uh, you know, put the needle down, mash, go, and, and this is what you got us.
1: God, how pretentious would it be if people actually, like, recorded podcasts, put them on vinyl, and then mailed them to people?
0: Uh, this It has happened. Ugh. <laughs> Just FYI, yeah, that it's like, uh, I, I don't remember which one it was, but I have heard of at least one podcast that has kind of a special promotion uh, recorded in a bonus episode on vinyl that they sold to members or something like that and and mailed it
2: off so if i can if i can go ahead and take the temperature of the room for a moment i think the reason why we're eight minutes and counting into this episode and we haven't really said anything about bikes is partially because that's our approach to podcasting in general and partially because Mm. the tour de france is coming up and there's a little bit of ambivalence or perhaps disinterest in it this year
0: i mean yeah well you also said take the temperature of the room and i have to tell you the temperature in this room is fairly high so there's a certain amount of there's a low energy yeah well yeah, there's we, that we, we expect greg to expect take a nap at some
2: point <laughs> <of> this episode
1: <laughs> i i needed to kill time to finish this last taco before really diving into this podcast so <laughs> that's just me Tacos um, and nigger i'm
0: gonna whatever. be i'm gonna be I'm going to be 10 minutes late, says Dan. It's all taco time.
1: (laughs) Well, the bodega really takes its time making tacos, you know?
0: Yeah, you can't rush these people.
1: No, no. Nor do I want to. I mean, these are some of the best bodega tacos I've ever had in my life. Some of the finest taco artisans
0: in all of West Philly. Yeah, these are good folks. All right. So, um, yeah, so yeah, there, I guess the Tour de France is, is coming up. As, as we record, it's the Thursday before it starts. What is it, the 5th of July? I don't know. It must be the 5th. Yesterday was the 4th.
2: Yeah, there was a lot of out.
0: explosions. So normally, you know, sometimes in the past, for example, a few years ago, I think we did, uh, we've done a Tour de France preview. Uh, one time we did sort of a weekly Tour de France, uh, I don't know kind of following the race thingy. Now, I just, I don't know. This year, I don't know, guys.
1: I'm, I am I hate to say it, but uh, honestly, since the World Cup has been on, I just, like, have not cared about cycling at all.
0: So, oh, I wonder if that's going to crush the ratings for the tour at all. I
1: mean, that's why I assume they move the tour back a week. Normally, the tour is, starts, the you know, on the yeah. 1st of July. I mean, you know... Tyler Ferrara won a stage on July 4th one year. Bello News oh, coincidentally yeah. reminded me of that for no reason whatsoever.
0: <laughs> um, His only Tour de France stage win.
1: Yeah, I wonder what that guy's doing these days. Real estate. I hope. No, that's someone else. I was hoping he had, like, a donut shop or something. He probably does. He
0: probably has... Well, he's in the Pacific Northwest, right? He probably... Tyler Farr- Tyler Farrar definitely strikes me as the kind of guy who has, like, a coffee and donut shop. Mm.
2: So Tyler Farrar was, like, too sweet for the world of World Tour sprinting, wasn't he?
0: He was just, like, too much
1: of a nice yeah. guy. I guess, yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I feel like he never quite recovered after his friend died in the Giro. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that really hit him kind of hard.
2: For sure. Anyway, I,
1: I mean, think I
2: think for few, I yeah. think the 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 next stage when the finish was neutralized and Wouter Weyland's teammates Leopard Trek rode in front of the peloton and then all beckoned for Farrar, who was on Cervelo, uh, Garmin Cervelo. No, he was on. Oh yeah, Garmin, Garmin Cervelo. Cervelo they, yeah. You know they beckoned yeah. for him to join them and they all like held arms and and rode across the line. It was like one of the most like painful and moving. Moments in in all of sports that I've seen.
1: That's true. Yeah, I would agree with that.
2: Partially, partially because of the the sort of visual emotion being displayed, and partially because of the the sort of implications of this whole team, and then inviting someone else from another team, which sort of gives the statement of like, you know, we're we're all on Wouter's team, or there are no teams. When I don't know, sometimes things are when life gets real.
1: Yeah. yeah really. I yeah, mean, absolutely. that's the that, that's the thing about bike racing is like when you're in a bike race, you know, like yeah, sure, you have teammates and you have friends and sometimes those two things don't necessarily overlap, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um and I think that's just kind of like the reality of life and cycling. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Um mm. But anyway, I don't know why we're going down this, like, rabbit hole of sadness. I was, you know, I was really hoping we could, like, spend some time talking about soccer. But um, anyway, I actually don't think the ratings are going to take that big of a hit because, you know, the first couple stages of the tour tend to be, like, you know, honestly, like, I personally really just watch, like, 10-minute highlights or whatever, like, the last 5 or 10K you know, And then stage three, I think, is a team time trial, which, like, great. There go all the French teams out of the GC.
2: I, <laughs> I, I love the idea of team time trials, but they're not exactly good
1: watching. No, not I mean, not no only are they good trialers. watching, but, like, it's basically a money contest. You know? It's like, which team has the resources to, like, fly all these dudes somewhere to do, like, a team time trial camp? and get all of them in the wind tunnel and like drill all of them. You know, it's like okay, we get it, Sky, you have the most money.
2: But like but like your team time trial favorites are kind of Sky, but I'm looking at like EQS, they definitely have money. BMC, I'm not sure they have a ton of money. They're they're on the ropes. And Giant Shimano has money. But not not Sky money.
0: Nobody has Sky Money but Sky. I mean no one no one has Sky money but Sky. I mean they can They can spend huge, huge bags of their money just on, uh, you know, getting a guy off of a salbutamol uh, positive. And so that's—and so that's—I mean, raise your hand if that's kind of what you're feeling a little
2: bit, like, cranky about this year's tour is the fact that Chris Froome is racing despite his doping positive from less than a year ago, which, like, just last week got essentially, literally, like, brushed off the table. Like, where—this is—whatever—
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, my hand is definitely up, uh, as our viewers can tell. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Same. (laughs) Um, Same. The thing, you know, honestly, here's the thing that really bugs me about this, is, like, I, you know, like, I definitely have... I have equal parts, like, faith in the process and skepticism of the process, sort of. And in the sense Uh that I have faith in the process, when... A writer is exonerated, I just want them to give us the reasoning and like at least some of the science. Like give us the cliff notes of why the decision was made. Don't just say, you know, the the statement that the UCI released was literally like Yeah, Wada and the UCI both agreed based on like expert analysis and evidence that it's fine. You know, and and I'm just like, okay, what expert analysis and evidence? Like, what are you basing this decision on? Like, don't expect us to just trust you on blind faith here. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's cycling, right? And and that's the
1: thing is, is, like, since then, I've, you know, kind of, like, dug a little bit deeper and, like, I've read some of this, you know, science behind the decision and, like, I've read some of the testimony of people that, like, kind of came forward and, like, analyzed it or whatever. And it kind of makes sense. I'm not, you know, like, I'm not crazy about it because it's, again, one of those cases where, like, the basically the UCI got convinced that the rule is imperfect and therefore should be changed. But it's like, well, the rule is the rule. Like, he should get sanctioned. And then if you want to change the rule afterwards that's like up to you guys or whatever you
0: know what i mean yeah and it's yeah and wada did like the same the world anti-doping association right did did sort of the same thing which is kind of a weird move for wada because normally they'd be like well yeah that sucks i guess but that's the rule and they were like well yeah and i I kind of i don't know i can't help but think that you know sky essentially demonstrated by with their like 1500 page scientific report or whatever that we have bottomless pits of money to throw at this and at lawyers, and it will drag on forever and ever, and we actually have more money than you do, Wada, to uh, pursue this case, and we will not give up. And Wada was like, you know what? Fine. And, it's, and it's, it raises the issue for me not Like, leaving aside for a minute how I feel about, like, Sky and Chris Room or whatever and doping and whatever that um you know there are process issues and that more than anything else if you've now that there's now it seems that if there are issues with the process and with the rules that well if you have you know bottomless pits of money that you can exploit those and get your your guys out of trouble and if you don't you can't so that's that's a Uh, really i think that's like a, a huge
2: point and i I think the reason why, like, that, like, really flicks my, like, irritation, it it really irritates me is because, you know, a a friend of a friend is someone who got popped for having something in his bloodstream that shouldn't have been there, um, that was not something that would, like, help him in his discipline, and, uh, in, in his ban, USADA basically said, we don't think that you... Uh, ingested it intentionally. We don't think that you intended to cheat. We don't think that you gained a performance advantage. But because you were unable to spend tens of thousands of dollars on like laboratory work to make a case, then we still have to give you the maximum ban.
0: Yeah.
2: And so and so. And, 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 and yeah. And meanwhile, you've got like Chris Froome with like a phalanx of lawyers who like didn't serve. A, you know, he didn't he didn't serve a day for what was like undeniably. A positive test for a restricted
0: substance. Right, and, and and the science, like it's the thing is too about albuterol, salbutamol. Like it probably is not performance enhancing, like if you take too big a dose. Uh, so it's 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 you know to the extent that uh, that doesn't mean it isn't indicative of other things they're doing necessarily. Kind of like you know when when Alberto Contador, remember that guy, uh, got caught for having clenbuterol yeah uh, in his in his uh blood um you know the argument there was was again that it was not something that was performance enhancing but uh, first of all it's um specified you know specified substance again but you know the argument that people made there who which wasn't this is why strict liability exists this this wasn't the reasoning um behind the ban that he eventually received but that it could be essentially an echo positive, right? That it was from uh, could be from blood transfused mm-hmm. uh, that had been taken out earlier in the season when you know kind of the use of this this particular drug was to lean down. Um, not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying that's what some people were arguing. Just chiming like. I mean, ch- in, Clemutrol. That's in what, that's in what in I heard about the Paulini po- pol-
1: cocaine positive.
0: Yeah, I mean, what about the cocaine positive?
1: Basically, the the prevailing theory that I kind of heard was that, like, obviously he wasn't doing coke at the tour. He was just transfusing blood from when he was training and partying well
0: maybe i mean on the other hand did seem- yeah i mean sure <laughs> Once he was
1: probably doing coke at the tour it would be a better story once he retired um. i mean it did seem pretty
2: clear that like he was a drug addict like he was doing a lot of cocaine he was doing a lot of sedatives yeah, yeah. But, to, um, just to, but just anyway, to it- circle
1: back around to like the inequity yeah. point um i know i was like Shit talking Velo News a little while earlier, but they do have like a pretty sweet article on their website right now about another case that's kind of been happening in the background that kind of demonstrates the whole the just the sheer inequity of the whole process. Um, It's about this Spanish no, it's Portuguese rider on Trek who tested you know his A sample came back positive for EPO. And then his B sample came back negative, and in that case, the rules state that the B sample overrides the A sample, and Mm. he should be cleared. But for whatever reason, like, the lab did something weird, and now, you know, he's, like, going through this whole big legal battle that, you know... Essentially, if he had tons of money, he would not be going through. Yeah, you know? I
2: think that the, the B-sample was declared inconclusive rather than negative. And so the UCI is using that to, like, insist on a ban. And, yeah, he's got no resources to defend himself.
1: Right. And it, like, kind of sucks because it's, like, in theory, he went through the process, like the, you know, like, the sample came back negative, and then because the lab decided to declare it something other than negative, you know, es- essentially he's getting pushed out of the sport because he, like, doesn't have the money to keep appealing to higher courts. Which yeah. seems kind of crazy, because it's like, you know, why? Right.
0: I, and the thing is, it's it's also you know, with with respect to Chris Froome. <laughs> you, know, you kind of have to acknowledge also that um, were it just, I don't know, I don't even know. It's difficult to think of a, like an example, really, where it would be different. But, you know, some other team with tons of money that hasn't been under this scrutiny, a rider that hasn't been under this level of scrutiny that had a similar thing happen, you know, with a similar similar kind of level of defense. Right and and ultimately getting cleared. Like if you can kind of imagine, I, I don't know, like Phil Gilbert. Well, I, I don't even know if he's a great example, but but it the fact that it's Sky that has this really I don't even know what the word I'm using because tainted isn't right. But they have such a there's like a vague stink being, about them. There's a vague stink about them, in, in like not just because they've been very successful. Uh, at winning grand tours and the tour de france in particular but because they've been they they have an air of shadiness about them uh and their pr is very bad and very aggressive um <laughs> which is weird yeah
2: rather uh, rather than being transparent they lash out at people and the media right. generally for like deigning to ask or daring to ask them questions
0: so that adds – yeah, so that adds – and it's it's not like quite like Lance Armstrong playbook. I mean because that guy was like so aggressive and, and would really go out of his way to ruin people's lives. But, you know, it's, it's on the gradient, you mm-hmm. know. And I think that's coloring it a lot where a lot of us sort of feel like Team Sky and Chris Froome are getting away with something. And there was a sense that, well – did, did they get caught? Like, what's going on? And and now, oh, they bought their way out of it. And and you know, it's it's fine if in fact there's some kind of reasonable explanation, I guess. Except that you know, you can't you can't view it without this context. I think. And I don't know. It's troubling. Like, I mean, I'll I'll be really frank in that. I do not think that sky to put it to put it as kind of neutrally as possible i don't think that sky is conducting itself in an ethical manner uh with respect to how it prepares riders for races and in chris Froome, i don't think um has an adequate explanation of where the hell he came from <laughs> so um yeah i mean that that is the obvious uh context that nonetheless should maybe be Put, stated plainly, yeah. and and I can state for myself that I just over the last five years, I've really run out of confidence, um, in Fru.
1: I mean, it's just it's just guys... hard to keep asking cycling fans to like place blind trust, in to, the sport. You know, it's like I feel like, I feel like it is. I feel like teams no longer have the right to lash out at people for asking those questions because it's like, like it or not, these people have chosen to make their living in a sport with the history that it has, you know? It's like, doping has been a part of cycling for as long as, as, long as anything else, you know? It's like, it's literally part of the sport, whether we like it or not, and it's like, I I do think that the sport is cleaner now than it's probably ever been. Mm-hmm. Yes, but, absolutely agree. But I still have skepticism for these performances. I don't necessarily, you know, like I don't, I'm not going to like write anyone off, but when I see something that looks crazy, like I definitely, you know, some alarm bells do ring and i'm not gonna like i don't i don't think it i don't think it's doing anyone any favors to not ask those questions like i don't think it's i don't think it's doing i I think we're we're begging for history to repeat itself if like journalists and uh fans like don't ask those questions you know what
0: I mean? That's that's why it's yeah, that's why it's alarming to see Sky in some ways repeat that US Postal playbook of implying that people are are stupid for asking these questions that you know, only an idiot would have doubts that yeah. You know, there's there's everything has been clearly explained and it makes perfect sense and oh by the way, Chris Froome has every right to continue Racing, and you shouldn't be mad at him for racing while under this crap cloud of suspicion because it's allowed under the rules and, you know, innocent until proven guilty and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, like it's reasonable for people to have those doubts, um, you know, especially in the context of this guy who came out of, like, even more out of nowhere than Lance Armstrong did, um, to be perfectly frank. <laughs> um, you know, who, and, 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 um, given, I, I lost my train of thought a little bit, sorry. But, but you know, to be asking these questions and to have, and to be angry, too, that, that you know, this was just secret until it was leaked and, and uh, to be mad that Froome was still just racing, you know, as though under the assumption that he, all along, that he would be cleared because of course he would be cleared. You know, and it's like in saying well that's his legal right and therefore you can't blame him for doing that but you can you absolutely mm-hmm. can because i think that you know there were some good articles i think peter flax had an article about this in cycling tips kind of kind of laying out this case which is that sure he, under the rules he's allowed to keep racing but just the level of disregard for think... the concerns that people have for you know the sport like the, the fact that you know, it's just the lack of respect, really. Right. Um, for the fact that we, we have this built up skepticism and that we deserve and and have earned the right to that skepticism based on seeing, you know, how many tour winners over the last 20 years <laughs> end up testing positive. Sure. Uh, I, I think the bottom line just, is
1: also that just, you know, something might be allowed under the rules, but that doesn't necessarily make it ethically correct Mm -hmm. you know and I think it's I think we as fans can make that distinction if we want to and it's like no one's arguing that he's allowed to not allowed to race no one's saying that like oh he's breaking rules by racing it's like I think everybody's just kind of like well it seems a little sketchy and like maybe you guys should think about the consequences of what you're doing and I don't think you know and if Sky wants to take the position of like well, it's fine for us to do it. It's legal. Then it's like, "Okay, that's fine. Like, we can't stop you, but we're going to keep asking questions." And like, if that's yeah. what you want to do, then like be prepared for these questions and be prepared to answer them and like be prepared for some public accountability then. You know, it's yeah. like that's that's the that's the hill you're choosing to die on here. That's that's up to you, you know.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, um, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be depressed if he if he gets this double, and I I, mm-hmm. I will be again lay my cards on the table and say that I will not feel very confident that it was <laughs> earned. No, I I, so. I kind of agree
1: with you. I think that like based on the based on like recent history of riders attempting the Giro Tour double, it it seems like it's not something that is. Feasible.
0: And in in well, I mean, in the way that he won the Giro didn't feel very feasible to yeah. me. To be to be honest, it was like, yeah, I, I don't know. So I, I just like my feeling. I'm very I'm very down on it. I I will echo Dan what you said earlier. I do think cycling is cleaner, uh, in a lot of ways. I certainly think that it's very clear that whatever, what whatever people are doing to dope is quite different from what it was. You know, 10, 15, and twenty years ago, it's not like it's not like p- people are giving themselves massive doses of uh, EPO. Um, I think homologous blood transfusion is pretty uncommon at this point um, because the testing has become very savvy to that. the The biological passport, um, you know, and the science is 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 pretty good at detecting that stuff. But if you look over at at running, for example and you see kind of the the shit show with alberto alberto salazar uh and galen rupp and mo farah uh, with the, the nike project and and you know with with galen rupp it's quite clear that you know when he's sort of out of competition boom they're dosing him up on steroids and stuff like that for you know using tues and and, and stuff like that uh you know and then taking him off you know in time for competition so it's you know strictly according to the letter of the law right but it's shady it's real shady and it's it's that's kind of what i think that you know there's this medicalization that's happened where it's it's i i I just it it is pretty unlikely i mean i'm not going to say it's impossible It is pretty unlikely that that sky has some kind of blood doping program going on um, yeah, I but, mean, I
1: think the biological passport sort of just keeps the levels. It, it prevents people from doing massive doses, but like people are still yeah, micro-dosing. But there's like microdosing. Yeah, yeah es- and stuff essentially, like that. people are cheating within the limits of the law. You know, right? And it's it would be maybe they're not. I don't know. I'm sure not everyone is, and that seems like a very complicated and expensive program to be on. So it's like I. You know, and the gains are probably quite small, but it's still you know it's still right. per- cheating, essentially. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well and there are probably there are probably events now, probably probably the ability for clean riders to compete is much better than it was. Yes. And right. and and even, I, and even do, win. Uh, and even win. Well, I mean well for I mean, I think that honestly it's in uh, it's in the three-week races where I get nervous because that's where, you know, having an army of doctors and experts to kind of help you perfectly manipulate um, kind of the, the system, um, the biopassport system, or, or even even if you're not um, microdosing things, you know, ta- perfectly timing your, your abuse of TUEs uh, and, and stuff like that uh, to be prepared you know i i wonder if it's it's a little different at that level or at least if you're chris brew and team sky if it's a little different um at that level i don't know but yeah i do think it's it's cleaner but it doesn't mean that you can't have problems yeah
1: cycling is being a cycling fan can be really exhausting sometimes (laughs) i mean not only like do you have to follow this like very convoluted and like hard you know it's like not only is the sport so convoluted it's like there's grand tours and stage races and one day races and then there's like road cycling and then there's all these other it's like the sport is so convoluted and sprawling and then on top of that there's just like all these written and unwritten rules and then like rules and ethics and it's just like oh my fucking god every every once in a while i like think about it for a second and it makes my head want to explode (laughs) i mean it does it does make a case for like stuff like
2: you know the hammer series being uh a more palatable way to digest
1: the sport doesn't it I mean, yes, but at the same time, it's, like, part of what I love about cycling is there's, like, so many different facets. It's, like, you know, like, for instance, like, be, you know, like, being at the track the last few weeks, it's, like, I forgot, you know, it's, like, I got so used to seeing, like, mountain bike racers and road racers, you know, and, like, there's a pretty you know, I would say there's like a specific body type of what like an elite level athlete of those disciplines looks like. And then like you go to the track and it's like a completely different body type. <laughs> and it's just like cool to see people that like normally you would look at and be like, oh, there's no way that's like an elite level athlete. And then like, oh no, actually that's like a world-class elite level <laughs> cycling athlete. They just compete at the right. track, you know? And it's like, that's pretty rad, you know, and, and it, it's great that there's like room for all these different people in the umbrella of cycling, but sometimes it's also maddening that there's like so much, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. and, it, and it's annoying because it's like for the rest of the world, what cycling is, is doping and it's the Tour de France and it's Lance Armstrong, you know what I mean? Like yeah. those are those are right. if you're not a cycling fan or you don't follow cycling those are like the three things you know about and maybe you've heard of this like crazy race called Roubaix. Right. Yeah.
0: You know. And we're sort of out there being like it's not it's not all terrible. Yeah. Not even close. Yeah, and like the <laughs> the
2: like level of going back to the basics that we need to do in order to answer questions from our like family members or coworkers. In yeah, order to, uh, yeah. Yeah, to dispel the sort of the myths that come with uh people without much information trying to parse how sprawling and confusing and ridiculous it is.
1: <sighs> yeah. yeah, I mean that's part of what like makes the sport so I don't know, so something, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Great. It seems it, it, like not the like right word, but
2: messy and true.
1: Yeah. It's kind of. I mean, it is cycling in a lot of ways is like a pretty decent metaphor for life, you know. Like, not in 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 a way that like regular team sports are kind of not. They're too regimented.
2: Regular team sports are too regimented. There's there's too what? They're they're too regimented. Whereas in cycling, you know, there's so much. Once the gun goes off, once the race starts, it there's too much chaos. It's moving too fast. You know, there's no like blow the whistle and pause, well, occasionally there is, but it's Right, uh, but it's
1: also just like I feel like in regular sport, it's like when your opponent is down, it's like you you you're like expected to show good sportsmanship and pick them back up. But in cycling, it's like when your opponent cracks, it's like that's when you kick them. <laughs> Like that's when that's when you start really punching them, you know. Like you hit them when they're down, and like that is more true to life, whether I like it or not, in my opinion, than like what happens in regular like sports ball sports, you know. Where like if someone is (laughs) injured and like falls, you know, like the game stops around them to like make sure they're okay. And in cycling, it's like no, nothing stops. Everybody is still racing. It's like you're just down. Yeah.
0: Well, it's, it's one of the one of the one of the evocative bits from uh, the rider is I don't remember the exact quote, but you know it, to paraphr- paraphrase it is like you said, you know when your opponent is down, uh, you know it's like in normalized society, in normal society, uh, you know when someone falls down, you pick them back up, and in cycling, you kick them to death. <laughs> and the other, the other, and the other one being uh, that you know, on that note that, you know, cycling is the the thin veneer of civilization just stripped away and just raw, (laughs) raw savagery. Yeah. In a way, I mean, like, and yet, and yet, though, we also do try to, we do try to, we do try to to constrain it within rules, though. And not just, you know, doping, but like, you know, not endangering (sighs) the people around you unnecessarily. And, you know, we all... You know even outside the rules um you know about altering line and the sprint and all that you know we all know that you know there's someone or a few people in a scene that are kind of like known as oh that's the guy who will not hesitate to put his bars into yours you know at the end of a crit or who will you know uh hip sling you you know in the middle of a race um for no <laughs> good reason and and tr- you know then try to crash you or whatever like you know, we all know about that, and we don't like those people, <laughs> generally speaking. Uh, you know, but they're 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 picking they're they're just taking that um, message a little too far. But it's you know, so so even in cycling, there's such a thing as going too far. But uh, yeah, you know, there's
2: definitely like a there there are ways that that plays out culturally, and I don't know like how descriptive I can be, but like. You know, Dan, you're probably familiar with some of this that, like, I think some people from uh, less developed nations um, race bikes with, like, a, a a much more cutthroat attitude than a lot of Americans. And it's not even in, the, you know? in the sort of, like, in the ways that, like, you know, people sort of harken to, like, you know, true hard races where people are going out all the time. Like, it's not stuff like that. It's more stuff like you know, being willing to take these constant risks and put other people in danger
1: uh, when a lot of other people aren't willing to do that. You know, you know, part of me thinks like when I, part of me thinks that that's like a little true in some cases, Mm -hmm. but another part of me thinks that it's just like a, a lot of that, you know opinion or stereotyped is like is also like a little bit motivated by racism because it's like what a lot of those writers do like yeah sure it's on the like it's definitely on the spectrum of aggressive and like it's on it's like towards the end of like okay this is a little excessive but it's nothing that like guy you know like other white racers don't do on a regular basis you know what I mean especially in like the high end you know especially in like the one two like usa crits races or like the you know just like bigger cr- races like it that kind of stuff happens all the time and it's like some people are kind of like allowed to get away with it because they're they have a certain status in the community and then other people are like, Oh, you're dangerous, you know, and then you get labeled as a dangerous rider, and like every, you know, it's like so. It kind of cuts both ways,
0: mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, like any 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 GoPro you see at the front of a USA Crits race is just, you know, it's like which who who is it that has the right to throw stones up here? <laughs> um, right. It's it's yeah all appalling and i I definitely
2: i definitely agree in the like racialized component to how some of that stuff is talked about
1: yeah you know like there's definitely like there's there's definitely uh and, and the other thing is is like who's having those conversations right like a lot of times you know in like the new york city cycling scene for a long time like ny velocity was the place where people like talked all that shit yeah, right. that was where and like, it's like, white bike racers from
2: Manhattan talked shit about Dominican racers.
1: Right, and, it, and it's like, who was primarily on that website? Like, it was dudes that had, like, finance jobs and had nothing to do during the day except be on the internet, like, writing anonymous comments.
0: <laughs>
1: you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, it's easy for those guys to talk shit on, like, the Dominican dudes who are, like, you know, maybe work at a bike shop under the table one or two days a week and are like staying with friends in New York city for the summer to like race their bikes and try to make some money. You know what I mean? Totally. It It's just like a completely different situation. And, and it's, it's definitely like who's having the conversations, where are the conversations happening? And like, the, there's a lot of like components there yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, it's like I've, I feel a little guilty because, like, I definitely participated in that when I was in New York City and, like, it took me not being in New York City and kind of, like, be removed from that community to, like, be able to look back on it and be like, huh, and just, like, think about it in a more, like, critical way and, like, think about the kind of power dynamics in the New York City cycling scene and, like, who was on top and like who was popular and who was an outsider Mm -hmm. you know what I mean I
2: think that's like definitely the case in New York um because New York has a sort of I don't know specifically interesting and perverse uh racing demographic partially just because of what what New York is like uh that makes it different from a lot of other places
1: yeah sometimes sometimes place. i miss it <laughs>
2: yeah i know but you know like racing you know i started racing in brooklyn and like oh, this was around the time when people love to say that cycling is the new golf and i was like what are you talking about like uh. cycling is you know people yelling at each other in like trinidadian standard english and spanish and like caribbean accents and like and english speaking people like all in the same peloton at floyd bennett field and then you know i left new york city and i was like Oh, 40-year-olds with families from the suburbs race bikes outside of New York City. I get it. Like like white guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it, like, it, it took me a really long time to, like, understand the stereotypes of, like, New York racers being dangerous. But it's, like, yeah, it's because a lot of the dudes that travel from New York City are, like, it's, for a lot of people, it's, like, the first time they've seen, like, dark-skinned bike racers. <laughs> Yeah. Like, it's, it's you know, it's, like, I don't want to, like, hit it too on the nose, but it's just, like, yeah, there's... Bike racing is really white outside of New York City and, like, maybe L.A. and, like, probably a few Florida. other places that think, I'm not, like, Florida. aware of. Florida, yeah. Florida. You know, but, like, everywhere else, it's, like, it's definitely, like, a white, middle-aged, like, hobby sport, and it's, like... <sighs> anyway... <laughs>
2: That said, as a, as a slightly tangential thing, I really feel like we should get my friend Robert on here to tell his story about racing in Trinidad and Tobago because his stories are just like the most wonderful kind of chaos you can imagine.
1: One of these days. I mean, we should also like maybe one of these days you and me, Matteo, can like do some interviews at the track of like the Trinidad and Tobago
0: dudes. That would be really cool. Um I I do I do also like hearing about the things like the whatever that big stage race is. Well it's not I mean it depends on what you mean by big, but in Africa and whatever. You know, sort of the the developing world of cycling. I don't even know what I would call it, but but you know, outside of the you know, people think of bike racing as in in many ways it is this Eurocentric kind of thing. But there's bike racing happening in Africa and in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and stuff like that. And I might be, in a way, more interested in that now than in I don't know Euro, just regular old Euro bike racing. Um, though I do, I mean, I st- I don't know, I still love my cyclocross and whatever, yeah. So I get that's but,
2: that's there's the big question there of like so you know we're we're talking about all these like written and unwritten rules of cycling and what happens when or you know what what's it like in a different culture where the bones of bike racing as we know it are the same but maybe the culture that develops around it uh in terms of who participates you know how like what happens in bike races all of these things when the culture is really different and you know separated by different languages and cultures we don't really get a window into that yeah what's it like
0: yeah I, I, yeah, I like the stories because they, they would occasionally have a write-up in, like, cycling news or something about this stage race in Africa, and there'd be, like, a certain amount of, like, oh, look, you know, they're still using, you know, they're on, like, a secondhand, like, Trek OCLV, you know, from 2001, and it has nine speed. Yeah dura ace on it and it turns out you can still go fast with that stuff and like there's a certain element of me that rolls my eyes and goes like duh <laughs> of course you can you know like <laughs> uh, it, like people uh, you know it, like it's it gets divorced from some of the bullshit around oh uh you know the technology and the fancy parts and and like we're gonna have this uh i don't know electronic group sets now in these bike races and let's find out what the latest carbon wheel shape is and, and stuff like that wait
1: can we can um, we talk about for a second how there's like three or four new bikes at the tour this year uh, that yeah, do yeah. not accept any form of cables or <laughs> just no cables well, yeah, well, let's, you can either let's do wires actually... or you can do hydraulic hoses but you can't do fucking what? cables
0: Let's actually talk about let's actually talk about that uh, in a minute because I, I you know it's not like I don't care about tech but I think that p- people get like wrapped up in it you know the things the things that the especially um like you know bike racing in places where people just don't have the same resources and the same access to you know kind of the latest bike tech is really interesting um because I think that sometimes people get Really, you know, and it's particularly with respect to the road, where where I think it matters the least. Um, wrapped up in how, oh, you know, um, it's it's a real have and have nots. So, you know, you can't compete, you know, if you aren't making like a banker's salary uh, in bike racing these days. Everyone's got their carbon wheels and their power meters and stuff like that, and th- th- you know that's basically kind of uh, I-, I think bullshit from you know people trying to excuse their their slowness uh as something other than just slowness um because <laughs> uh, it, it's you know really interesting to see um people who just aren't just can't afford to be wrapped up in that honestly um because they just need something that that works and is available that they can afford um you know and as like a proud dirtbag bike racer for many years <laughs> um it it warms my heart <laughs> a little bit um when people aren't talking about marginal gains you know this or that it, it's a different story in in like mountain biking and, and to a lesser extent in cyclocross but uh yeah sorry so <laughs> tech at the tour we're gonna talk some tech at the tour Bunch of bikes i mean that look the same yeah a
1: bunch <laughs> of bikes that are real ugly
0: too so yeah why don't you i, I it seems like you have uh, a soliloquy prepared dan so um, i mean i don't have
1: really anything prepared it's just like i think i think it's kind of like a little bit of a sad day when bikes are coming to market that no longer are capable of running a mechanical group or like even mechanical brakes i guess i i don't know it just seems it seems like the end of an era in a way you know and i think that that era
2: is of uh relative cross compatibility and 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 bikes essentially being modular you could take a group set off of one put it on another you could take brakes. you know you could take different individual components and kind of mix and match and here we are with as as bike companies sought to be like the most aero mass start road bike or sought to make the most aero mass start road bike they encountered all these little design problems you know like how do you get the brakes to be aerodynamic you know first we had standard brakes and then we had integrated brakes you know v brakes on giants and other stuff and the sort of proprietary brakes on treks and those all like lead to their own you know design problems and people were like routing cables like into the stem and into the steer and through the, and just like doing all this crazy stuff and they figured that like the best way to solve those design problems is just to sidestep it all
0: so i i i mean i hear what you're saying about the compatibility and modularity thing i i don't know i feel like that ship has sailed sort of a long time ago people have complained been complaining about this for 30 years um ever since the advent essentially of indexed shifting in the 80s because that was sort of when you could no longer just which like i don't know it never really mattered because people liked using their group sets together and yet it suddenly was a big a big deal that you could only use a shimano derailleur with shimano with your shimano shifters um,
1: yeah, but you like know, you it, could still run whatever brakes you want, you could run more or less whatever crank you want. You know, you can run yeah. more or less what you could run, you could put whatever stem you wanted on a bike, you could put whatever bars that you liked on a bike. Mm-hmm. And we're getting to a point where that, those are no longer options. You know, like uh, for, the, for you the, know, at, for a, the, at, at a certain the, point top we top all here. agreed that it was fine that frames had proprietary seat posts. You know, like there was
0: only one seat
1: post you could put in a certain bike. And, you know, we all kind of said, like, oh, okay, whatever. Like,
0: Well, but there was also some backlash for that, I feel like. I feel like the number that? of integrated... I feel like there was some backlash from that. Like, it, on uh, the number of integrated seat posts and seat mass actually went down. You I'm know? not like talking it, about it, it shot integrated seat
1: posts. I'm talking about, like, the aero seat posts that only fit in a certain frame. So, like, still fully adjustable, but it's just, like you know for instance like the uh specialized LA sprint you know like it has that like aero seat post that like the old Venge had basically like you can't put a regular seat post in that bike you know what I mean you can only put that seat post in that bike uh and now you know it's like and that seemed kind of fine but like now that we're getting to the point where like I can't put my favorite handlebars on my new bike I have to use these crazy looking handlebars from this manufacturer that like might not work with where I want to put my hoods you know it's just like it's it's I don't know it's it's getting to a point where like bikes are becoming essentially like cars and you can't I don't know you can't like mess around with them the same way that like I feel like that I fell in love with bike mechanics where I was just like hodgepodging race bikes together with like mix and matching like chorus you know (laughs) rear shifter with like a veloce front shifter and just like uh you know i was running i think i was running like a shimano front derailleur on my campy group and like fsa cranks and just like just weird stuff that like you made work
0: Maybe. I don't know. I I feel like that's, like, at the very, like Maddie said, at the very top end, mostly, that that's happened. And that's not, I mean, you know, because there have been, like, integrated bar stem things. I'm not so sure. Maybe it's just because I'm just, like, at a stage where I'm tending to buy um, used frames and throwing parts that I've had for 10 years on them and and being like, yeah, cool, it's my race bike. Uh, But... I don't know, because I, 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 the thing that does disturb me, um, though it has for a while now, uh, is is the sheer number of very ugly or at least boring looking bikes out there. I, I'm really super over, like, the matte black bike, you know, that's just matte black everywhere. I mm-hmm. kind of hate that. Um, it makes me. Say, I especially. I especially set my teeth on edge when people say like, "Oh yeah, my bike is totally murdered." Oh, now, that bro. is absolutely the like, worst. And that makes me. That just like makes me cringe. I hate that a lot. Uh, but you know, also with the bikes, that it's like here is a bicycle and it is white and red. And I'm just like, really. Yeah, there are some swoopy lines somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm over. I'm over that a lot. Uh, Alright, well, I
1: um, S- speaking of speaking of bikes, uh, I am currently on the hunt for a 2009 Cannondale System 6. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the bike that had a I'm... carbon front end and an aluminum rear end. No, isn't that a 613? No, 613 had just carbon top and down tube, but the head tube was still aluminum.
0: Carbon top and down tube. Oh, so the system six. The system the six. The whole
1: front triangle, including the head tube, was carbon. The seat tube and the stays were aluminum.
0: This was an era when that was a thing, like dual material bikes. Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, it was not. It was not. Prefer.
0: I don't really I'm look preferably back on these looking bikes for the fondness. clear
1: carbon with the brushed aluminum version in a size 54. If anybody's got one. Hit me up.
0: <laughs> so so my question my question is 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 why? Uh mostly
1: nostalgia, you know, and just like <laughs> a fear that uh cabled bikes are going to be hard to find soon and like, you know, just stocking up for the apocalypse of DI2 and hydraulic brakes.
0: <laughs> I I legitimately that was, you know, so when I got into bike racing was when um this was a thing to have bikes that you know it was the most common thing at a lower price point your kind of mid-range bike was have the bike be entirely out of aluminum except for the seat stays and then the seat stays would be carbon fiber Mm -hmm. Uh, and there'd be some some marketing bullshit about how oh well the seat stays are made out of carbon fiber because that'll give you you know it's it's a nice uh mix of the stiffness of aluminum and then the the damping of carbon fiber for a smooth ride and it was just 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 bullshit because it was like well the reality is we can't afford um to make a bike at this price point that is made entirely out of carbon fiber so we're going to make part of it out of carbon fiber because everyone's crazy about it uh and we're going to use that to sell it uh, and then there were there were the weirder ones like uh the cannondale had the system six and the in the 613 um specialized had the original tarmac was actually a combination it was it was like a carbon um bottom half and like aluminum top half mm-hmm. uh trek uh had a bike that was like a steel top and a carbon bottom or something like that
1: yeah very, i very they sold it under the lamond name for a while but yeah I know yes it was under the about. yes exactly like a friend, they of, it, mine, like, a friend of mine a friend of mine had one of those i thought it was super cool but anyway, I want the yeah. I want the Cannondale. Just it's it's not. I'm not like, I'm not actually. Well, what I was saying though is that I do. Bike. I'm just. It's 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 mostly just like a side project, um, right? And it's kind of hard to find in a size fifty four for whatever reason. Like I see a lot of size fifty sixes, so I'm just putting it out there. If anybody's got a fifty four kicking around,
0: I I I was just I just wanted to say about that that that. So yes, people if you have this um if you have a size 54 uh Cannondale system 6 kicking around, uh, let dan know. Um <laughs> I having having come up in this era of of bikes that were epoxied together at various points have zero nostalgia <laughs> for these for these machines whatsoever. Um and I was really really excited around 2011-2012 as uh, apparently the shine had worn off of the whole carbon, like we must have carbon fiber everywhere, and manufacturers started uh, deciding, hey, our mid-tier bikes can just be aluminum; it's fine, you know, or they'll be carbon fiber with the lower spec parts, and we'll overlap the top end of the aluminum, and, and it was like fine, great. <laughs> I was very pleased, uh, and you know, my current my current race bike is like a 2011 cannondale cad 10 so there you go
1: i mean let's not get Uh, crazy uh, here greg everyone on this show has a a fully aluminum road bike
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's true well you know in case in case you were wondering what sort of bike racers we are uh we're the ones with fully i mean all both of my race bikes this season are going to be aluminum because i now have matteo's former uh norcross as my my cyclocross bike and that is an aluminum frame uh, but I, I'm I'm switching from steel in that case, to aluminum, so. Yeah,
2: have you have you taken that there. out on some trails yet?
0: Oh yeah, I've taken it out on some trails. Nice. Do you like it? Yeah, I haven't. Oh god, yeah, it's great, actually. So okay, um, to t- just to, to cover that briefly. So my, my old cross bike, um, it wasn't is because I still have it, uh, a Richie Swiss cross. It's made out of steel it's very springy and springy you know it has a lot of vertical compliance you might say (laughs) um it also has i would i would consider this an issue where the fork is very very flexible uh and so it is almost impossible to avoid terrible brake shutter with this bike where if you brake too hard you get basically the front wheel uh, vibrating Uh, extremely badly and it's it's pretty scary and even even with the corrective uh measure of putting a mini v-brake on the front instead of a cantilever brake um with the right combination of pad and rim you can still get this terrible um brake shutter yep and of course it's it's just inch and an eighth top and bottom the norcross (laughs) has a tapered has a has a tapered head tube so it's uh one and a quarter inch at the bottom the fork is incredibly stiff it's got so much material like right below. Yeah, the it's crown. got a ton of material. Like yeah, the fr- the front end the front end stiffness on this bike is on a on a really different level. I mean, forget the rest of it, it which is also much much stiffer. And it just means that you can point this bike basically wherever you want and do whatever you want with it in a way that was kind of shocking to me. Like I got used to I got used to the way this Richie Swiss Cross behaved, and it sort of didn't occur to me that the stiffness of the frame might have some consequences on what i could do with it in the very first time i took the norcross out uh on some trails there's uh at the blue hills if you start from the observatory access road you can kind of cut across the middle of um the reservation to the reservation headquarters on this kind of wide fire track road and it's up a little bit um at first and then you go down this like, fire road descent um, that ends up there. And it's pretty rocky because that's what the Blue Hills is like. There's a lot of loose stuff. There's some axe head rocks, stuff like that. And on the Ritchie, I've I'd, I'd done a pretty fast descent. I went out and and just immediately set, like, a top ten on Strava going down the other side of this
2: <laughs> on uh,
0: the Norcross. Because you can just... Y- you don't have to be like, oh, I better control my speed. There might be something coming up. It's like, <laughs> I'll be able to break. I'll be able to break when I want to break. Yeah. Uh, and wherever i point this thing it's pretty much going to go because it's not going to wind up and twist and and do other things with so uh it's very very exciting the the, the downside is that yes um the ride is not comfortable <laughs> at all uh but the Ritchie was pretty unusual it well is i still have it the Ritchie is very unusual in that respect in that it's like riding on a pillow um and I'm, I'm kind of okay with my cross race bike being a little bit stiffer and harsher if it means that it's gonna go where I point it and I'll be able to brake as hard as I want to, especially because of my style. And maybe I should be on disc brakes for this reason, but I'm not. Uh, but my style is definitely to go into features or corners very, very hot and brake as late as I can, as hard as I can. So, um, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm,
1: I'm glad we're not racing together. no no Uh, offense greg that is my least favorite style
0: (laughs) (laughs) actually dan we sort of are racing together you're you're gonna be several places ahead of me i'll admit but we'll be in the same races well, so. uh, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> so. my, least, my least favorite style
2: in cyclocross was the guy who was, like, two riders behind me as I was setting up for a 180 turn. This is back when I raced the cyclocross. And I, you know, went to the outside of the turn all the way to the left in order to, like, turn right mm. and cut across the apex with the largest radius that mm-hmm. I could. And as I do that, he decides he's going to carry his speed straight up the inside of this 180, and just Mm -hmm. t-bones me
0: yeah like he wasn't that guy sucks (laughs) people i mean people stuffing themselves into the the inside of a corner um is is kind of a thing you have to deal with yeah Uh, it's real annoying it's real annoying though i will agree (laughs) it's like this is not I, i had this issue actually recently um it was new england crit week though it wasn't in cross where i I did during the the midweek races the exeter classic in exeter new hampshire and the grand prix of beverly in beverly massachusetts are one two three races they're you know elite only except that we threes are allowed they deign to allow us to participate um to get some you know money from reg basically uh And at first, in the back of the field at Beverly in particular, everyone's pretty civilized, and it's fine, and people are going into the turns well. But later in the race when people are tired, and they're getting desperate, and they're like trying to move up, and they're coming up to the corner – and it's wet, by the way, which helps – and they're coming in, and they're just coming up hot on the inside to try and stuff themselves – into the line and of course then their their speed is carrying them out wide and they're actually going slower and it was just like i'm sitting here trying to tailgun this race and conserve energy because because i don't have matches to spend just pedaling hard it was just like stop doing that <laughs> that's not like like take the fast line and make life easier for everyone you're not helping anybody least of all yourself you know you're 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 going slower through the turn, and you're not just hurting yourself; you're hurting the people around you. Like See, that's why I
2: like long dude. races because once you you know there are a lot of Pennsylvania crits that are like seventy five minutes minutes long, and oh. after about forty five or fifty minutes, like the tryhards
0: doing that tire out. <laughs> it's real. It's real, in- but it's weird because people were only doing that when they were starting to get desperate, yeah. like you know forty five minutes yeah. in, and it was like guys like. This is not going to improve your situation people at start, all. Yeah, I mean, people are just going to get more tired.
2: People think about like what might advance them, you know, two spots in the next five seconds instead of what's going to be the best approach, lap after
0: lap. Yeah, I, I will say in my defense, Dan, that like while I, I you know, while I, I break late, I come in hot and break late. I do, I do try to ride smoothly. I do try. I do try to take the fast line. I'm not like, uh, you know, trying to shove my way in front of you and, and then slow you down. I hope. Hopefully. We should, we should go ride cross bikes together sometime and see what happens.
2: I think we lost Dan.
0: I'm, I'd yeah, be down I, for
1: that.
2: I think... Oh, <laughs> He's we, back. We woke <laughs> him up from his nap.
1: <laughs> well, you said, let's go ride cross bikes, and I was like, yeah? Because <laughs> up until that, yeah. it was just like, oh, okay, we're, we're talking about all the shit that annoys us during bike races again.
0: <laughs> oh. Wow, very very subtly pointing out hell is other people, right? Feelings about the conversation. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, not
2: and the honest bicycle yammering. program becomes time trialists. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I was trying to say with that comment. I was oh, just God. I was just these subtly guys. trying to hint that like maybe we talk about people dive bombing corners too much
0: maybe we do maybe we do uh, did you maybe you guys have gotten off twitter in, in time to miss the argument of whether, about whether time trials were actually races that was a thing yeah i'm sure twitter bike solved twitter that one. Oh, oh yeah yeah <laughs> well uh rather than i feel like uh, we really should have a deep, segment
1: where greg you just catch us up on new england bike twitter because I would like actually subscribe to that newsletter because I do kind of miss it, but I'm not willing to go back.
2: <laughs> uh, I gotta say every now and then I just I log into Twitter just to scroll through it for like five minutes and just unfollow people.
0: <laughs> so, so 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 let's see uh, some masters dudes rode on the course during the women's race at Longs Show. Adam Meyerson got yelled at for uh, and then and then posted a soliloquy. Um, about wearing his Masters Nat Champ jersey in a non-Masters race. Um, that's... Oh, wait, oh sorry. guy crashed another guy. Can you, can you guy. please tell me
1: what his excuse was?
0: Oh, that it's just like a thing that, that people have done forever and it reduces the exposure for um, for people who are not, like, elite national champions. And it's like, as long as, like, the actual kind of national champion in that, sp- that Actual category isn't there, it's okay, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm I'm I don't I think it's okay, honestly, um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, sort of funny that I think it's just one of those things that blows up into a thing on Twitter, sure. I mean, I'm
1: generally okay with it, I feel like it probably only bothers me a little because it's Adam, but I don't really care. And that's just <laughs> that just seems like a thing that he would yell at someone else about. but you know it's Adam so it's fine
0: well as it was pointed out it was pointed out to me because we were discussing this this weekend uh me and some friends and uh this is this is one of those things that's a Paul Curley rule actually the uh only the specific category Uh, apparently there are uh, I'm I'm, like getting myself into so much trouble in New England right now (laughs) but uh apparently apparently there is like uh a number of rules that are there because of Paul Curley um you know, where he would ride his, his jersey in essentially whatever race, no matter what. And so that, that's a big part of why. And this might be untrue, I should say. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is only scuttlebutt. I, I cannot verify it or vouch for it. I have nothing against anybody who I am naming. I'm only saying that this is what I've heard. <laughs> because of the many thousands of New England bike racers that listen to this, I might be uh, in hot water otherwise.
2: So. Well, you'll have to ca- next episode. You'll catch us up on the
0: <laughs> New England
2: bike Twitter fallout from this episode. Yeah, that's that's uh, Maddio's
1: so way of saying he he doesn't really want to hear about Twitter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's been it's been speaking of seventy five minute crits. It's been seventy five minutes in the baking heat in my attic. <laughs> um So I'm about ready to wrap up.
1: Well, thanks for taking one for the team and turning your fan off, even though no, neither one of us can hear it.
0: <laughs> hey, the listeners probably can, and that matters. Guys, we've been coming to you on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Um, I do want to say that before we go. Uh, the Wide Angle Podium Network is, of course, a network of fine podcasts, mostly amazing cycling-related content, um, there's a ton of great shows on there I mean there's us obviously I mean I don't
1: want to toot our okay. own horns but if you join now there's bonus content that we've recorded so like
0: it's coming. if you're yeah. if you just
1: can't get enough of this
0: right well here's the thing here's the thing it's July now <laughs> it's July now in August August is the wide angle podium um, membership drive so that's coming up. So be prepared for that That will be, if not the next episode, the one after Sort of depending on, on what we do uh, But but that's coming up uh, And ready for you Waiting for you In the August membership drive Is going to be some fantastic new bonus content We, got, uh, we sat down together We recorded a couple of episodes We talked about uh, Matty, you told us a lot about how to prep For a long weekend at the track uh, It's also, I think Kind of broadly applicable to uh prepping for a long weekend at any bike event so just because you want a track racer doesn't mean that you shouldn't be interested in it that said um there's some kind of specific uh, th- there's some specificity to what track cycling is like uh, and how that works uh, that could make that a valuable resource if that's something you're curious about uh we did another one um before that actually uh, where Dan told us all about how to prep for a cyclocross season um, just training equipment all of that stuff what to keep in your car um, there are, if I do say so myself a couple of really great little bonus episodes uh, and they're gonna be posted pretty soon um, so I would suggest well you could wait until August and the membership drive to join up you could do that but you could also get a jump on it and become a membership now a membership Become a member Become a membership Purchase a membership Yeah And do that now You know It starts at $5 a month um, You just head over to Wideanglepodium.com Slash donate You'll get access Not only to our fantastic uh, Bonus content Which also includes By the way uh, A pretty great breakdown Of the movie Breaking Away That me and Matteo did What last year mm-hmm. um, Which which I think is A pretty good Little episode It's, it's a little more Cultury um, You know haute couture as it were um you know and and that's not to mention all of the other great shows on the network that also have some pretty fantastic bonus content for you so if you like if you like the honest bicycle program if you like the slow ride podcast or we got to hang out or you like bike shop cx or, or crosshairs radio um head on over to white podium.com slash donate and uh become a member you know it, it's uh it's it's some work right we, we bring this to you for free if you choose to take advantage of it for free and like there's no shame on that sometimes that's what you got to do you know sometimes sometimes you don't have five bucks to spare but if you do five bucks a month or more you know 10 bucks a month 15 bucks a month um, you know but really it really means a lot to uh, get a little bit of uh, a little bit of compensation for for bringing you all this this great content if not for us then like the professional uh, impressive people like Bill Shykin and folks like that so yeah any any further comments you guys just do the uh, thing it's funny. it's
1: funny yeah yeah i mean yeah. you know i'm apparently i might get a microphone out of it who knows
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get down a microphone because i'm i'm really, really tired <laughs> of gating out
1: I feel, now uh, see now you're making it seem <laughs> like it's for you rather than for me wish, <laughs> like i don't know
0: it's taking the shine off a little bit
1: i mean it's <laughs> It's fine. I am I will accept it.
0: it it's, a gift. it's a gift to you and, and, and potential, all potentially the And potentially Bill. Yeah, probably to Bill, too. <laughs> Hi, Bill. <laughs> uh, so that'll be a thing. Anyway, um, Wide Angle Podium Network, wideanglepodium.com. Slash donate. Uh, thanks for listening. This has been the Honest Bicycle Program. Hey, did you guys know that we have an email address? We do. You guys remember what it is? On a spike program at gmail.com yeah you guys can feel free to like hit that up if you got questions if you got things you'd like us to talk about if you you know want to tell us that we're wrong or extremely correct about something that's a thing you can do we'd love it you could also go to uh, I'm not sure if it's called iTunes anymore it's like Apple Podcasts or maybe it's still in iTunes but you can, you can leave a review of the show I haven't asked you to do that in a long time but uh, you know go do that that'd be nice yeah anyway uh i think that's that so we'll catch you next time and thanks for listening everybody and we'll we'll see you soon good night good luck and good night
1: no (laughs) and good breakfast